dealing with some academics, and so, so how did that? Joe loves academics. Uh, how, how did that? Loves them. How did that dynamic? The best. Hey Joe. Hey Emily. The first. Fifteen. That the lithium market was showing signs of of movement. Um, a lot of people were talking about EVs and the potential of EVs. This was in early 2015. As many members of the lithium community know, I did a crowdfund for a short film that I wrote and directed. And even a little bit about our culture too. Like I feel that's an important element to be sharing with, with people outside the company. And, and yes, that is a deliberate strategy. You're listening to the Global Lithium Podcast. Hey, Joe. Hey, Emily. You ready? I'm ready. How ready? Very ready. Good noon, and welcome to an- <laughs> and welcome to another episode of the Global Lithium Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Emily Hirsch. And I'm the other co-host, Joe Lowry, and we just wanted to get the outtake out of the way, so we started off flawlessly. So, who do we have today? You know what, Joe? Sometimes uh, one of the most uh, fulfilling parts of being a world-renowned Global Lithium podcast host is that we, as a... (laughs) Sometimes we run into those people, and you and I have exactly the same thought, where we're like, we have got to get this person on the podcast. That type of of an encounter happened yesterday when we had the pleasure of meeting... One, Colleen Yates, the CEO of Regional Development of Australia, Perth, and one of the architects and driving forces behind the Lithium Valley, Joe. I know, and it was a joy to meet this woman who has all that energy, but the most surprising thing to me was she's an American. She's an American in Australia, <laughs> American down under. Welcome, and let's just start off with how does a nice young woman from New Mexico wind up in WA? Well, I uh, back in 1992, I uh, came to Australia a bit on a whim, um, and one of those things where, you know, you're ending a relationship, and you thought, oh, yeah, I'll go to Australia. Uh, packed up my two kids, and, and off I went, and um, basically... Uh, ended up looking after 350 acres of land down in Denmark, Western Australia, that um, my uh, sister and her then partner had purchased. Um, um, my sister was uh, married to Luke Longley, and so who's yeah. a basketball player? If anybody doesn't know that, basketball is a sport where you throw a professional a ball a hoop. basketball player. Yes, very yes. professional. Yes, so you can Google him, and we'll move on. Yeah, so, um, yeah, loved Australia, started a um, organic business down there, introducing New Mexico chilies um, to the Australian market because everything came in cans or jars. And I just thought, you know, what a great opportunity. So I spent um, quite a few years doing that and um, went back to the States for a little bit, then came back and um, uh, worked in the organic industry a little bit further. And then I moved into state government. So, um, and I worked for the Peel Development Commission for about nine years, was a CEO for three. And uh, when I left that job, I started this job with Regional Development Australia, Perth. What was it like to sort of, I guess, hear the calling 
to public service? Um, it, I just fell into it. You know, it just, it just was one of those things that just happened. I didn't plan it. Um, but I was actually asked, um, to join the commission and, uh, found it a very rewarding and interesting job. And so in your role, in your hat as a, as a, as a public servant or sort of working for the state, your, your goal has obviously been very different than in the private sector. You've, I think, had experiences needing to realize um, difficult and often complex um, initiatives that require building consensus among groups rather than beating someone else. Uh, that's correct. And um, it's, it's fun to do because there's very little self-interest. Um, you know, so you get to pursue uh, uh, projects and and things that are um, for the public good or for the public benefit. And uh, with the commission at the state level, I was able to do that. And also now at the federal level through Regional Development Australia, Perth, um, I'm able to um, look at those types of projects that are in the best interest for the state. So tell us about when was the first time that you remember hearing about lithium? Um, it actually happened over Chinese lunch. Um, I was, uh, we were having a celebratory Christmas um, lunch, and um, we were sitting there with uh, Professor Peter Newman and another, a number of other people who were very keen on seeing the uh, new port at Quinana, or it's referred to as the Outer Harbor, um, pursued. And um, Peter had um, spoken to some of the ministers about the opportunities around um, energy metals and lithium. And I, it didn't get much of a response. So over this lunch, um, I said, I put my hand up and I said, Peter, you know, why, why doesn't RDA do it? And um, so that, that's how that project and was. So what, what was the time frame for this? When, when, what this year? was, um, the lunch was in December 2017. Wow. And the project got started um, late January, um, February, because I raised um, $100,000 to actually fund, uh, fund it. And uh, yeah, we, we got into it. And it, we, it took um, four to five months to actually complete the report mainly because uh, we had been in conversation with Tesla and we wanted Tesla to come to Western Australia to basically um, push the whole idea about this new energy future. So we, we brought Tesla into it now, which obviously everybody, everybody loves it. It's going to be great for clicks, when, Joe. Yeah, when Tesla is mentioned. <laughs> great for clicks. So you, you have this idea to do this report. How did it take the shape? Because it's a massive report. It's I mean, it's a massive it's, report. It's a weighty tome, I, I would say. And and it's um, it caused a lot of um, conversation around the, around the world, really. Because, I mean, even Ms. Hirsch wrote about it on LinkedIn, as I recall. Yeah, look, and I, I wrote about it on LinkedIn, calling out some of what I saw were some flaws that would cause execution impossibility down the line. And when you and I chatted yesterday, you sort of mentioned like, yeah, it's full of errors, but I made the plan. And, and you can't be perfect if you're going to get something across the line. And I was like, Right on, sister. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it does. You know, I've, we, I've had so many people approach and, and you know, say the, the spelling errors, um, the data, uh, you know, they're the little bits and pieces. But what it did, as Joe said, it started the conversation. And we socialized um, that document. Uh, and, and so it became, 
an issue that everybody and their brother were talking about. And, um, you know, so it was promoted on, on the news and everybody started to understand what this new energy um, future is and the need for batteries to power it. And, um, and you know, so it's, it's and for Western Australia, um, it also started to look at the conversation around how we're really good at breaking big rocks into little rocks and shipping them off. Um, but here was uh, some low-hanging fruit to possibly look at expanding further down the value chain that will create that new business investment and job growth into the future. Part of why this whole narrative interests me is because you're obviously a hands-on doer of things, and you're kind of, I think, dealing with some academics. And so, so how did that? Joe loves academics. Uh, how, how did that? <laughs> loves them. How did that dynamic work? Because you're, I mean, kind of the for, force of nature type of person, and you know, a lot of times academics are not quite of the same ilk. Um, the, putting the whole project together, there were a number of people involved and, um, some were from the private sector and yes, um, we had quite a bit of, uh, academic, um, look at it and it was a real challenge to actually tell the story of what Lithium Valley was about. But, um, we got there in the end and, uh, uh, while, you know, I, I know there were a number of people that referred to the report as an academic report, um, but, you know, it, it, everybody's going to view it a little bit differently. Well, just meeting you and talking to you, I viewed it differently just because it, 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 I understood where you were going after having the conversation yesterday. But when I first thought, I thought, you know, okay, it, it's, it's a cute, cutesy type of thing. Cause yeah. Silicon Valley, Lithium Valley, I, I get it. Um, and I don't even know if that was an in, intentional, but so just so the listeners know, if you could like summarize in a couple a minute or two, what is the whole concept of the Lithium Valley? The concept is um, the 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 uh, Western Australia's role in the new energy future, and looking at the opportunities that exist with uh, downstream processing, and can we capture that? Can we do more than breaking the big rocks into little rocks? Um, and 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 so it's it's it, it was written in in a certain way. Um, with a narrative that that would be appealing to a lot of people, we wanted to put it in, in as um, basic language as possible, so people could understand that this this was an opportunity um, for the state and for um, the country, and um, and make it easy also for the other end um, of the room with the politicians um, that that it would make sense to them. Yes, it's very thick and 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 uh, you know quite a big book, but. It did its job. It got um, the state government involved. It got the federal government involved. Um, and I couldn't be any happier with the result um, of the report. So when when you first started down the lithium rabbit hole, when you and I first talked on the phone, I was one of the things that I liked about you was that you clearly had come up come up the learning curve on appropriate vocabulary and you, you came off as very knowledgeable about the space and eager to know more. What are some of like the, the surprises about lithium that you found out when you first started learning? And then what are areas that you wish you were an expert in and have realized it's very difficult to be an expert in all areas of lithium? Um, I think, you know, this whole process, and it has been such an incredible learning process, has been around um, uh, the way that um, 
Western Australia can participate, you know, in, in this new future, but also how um, uh, countries like China have been involved for, you know, for quite some time, and they're way far down the track, and we're just waking up. And I, what I mean by we, I'm, I'm speaking to, about Australia, um, the European uh, Union, and the U.S., we're only just now really starting to talk about critical raw materials, which are um, the, the foundation of having a battery future. Do you have a fundamental belief of why that is? Um, I think uh, uh, China, um, they, you know, with their large population, um, have been doing a lot of strategic planning in order to uh, create the jobs um, uh, for the country. And so, you know, they've had a number of strategies in place. And uh, one, I think, of the most significant ones is the Made in China 2025. They've done a brilliant job. You know, they've they've captured um, the, the technology future, Industry 4.0, and their role in it. Can you, uh, for those of us who aren't as, I guess, policy-oriented, what is Made in China 2025 and what is the technology 2.0 or what? Can you describe those policies just a little? Yep. Um, so the Made in China 2025 uh, is uh, looking at um, what's China's role in terms of manufacturing goods mm-hmm. um, that then will be part of the One Belt, One Road policy, which is getting goods um, uh, to the world. So China you know, does see itself as a, a, a massive manufacturing uh, area and so in terms of looking at what they were going to do in manufacturing, they really targeted a lot of the um, the new technologies that are coming along, the robotics, um, the batteries. And uh, so China's been involved in uh, lithium battery manufacturing since about 1997 and um, has uh, really, uh, you know, become the world leader in terms of um, the an- anodes and cathodes and all the elements that are required for batteries. So I think let's. I think that because we have Joe here, and Joe is well, I guess the first person to sell lithium that went into a battery in Asia. Um, Joe, where does or what color can you provide in terms of what parts of the battery supply chain are dominated by China and what parts are dominated by Korea and Japan, and then why? What are the relationships there? Well, I. The narrative now, and we talked about, I talked about this in a Q&A this morning at the event I was at, but um, China gets most of the press, but honestly, the Japanese were the first to commercialize the battery. And in, as it was, as has happened many times over the years in different products, then the Koreans came in and then China just kind of laid in wait. And then boom. And when China started, I mean, the, the real difference in China with Korea and Japan is that when I first started going uh, to China to sell uh, lithium, you know, raw materials and cathodic materials, there were probably two or three hundred companies involved. And if you looked at Japan, there was a few and Korea, there was a few. And so the China wanted to do everything and they wanted to do it fast. And the, the the one thing I'll take issue with that a lot of people say is that the government orchestrated all of it. The, the government policies certainly have, have helped, but one of the things that has made China so good in this or come up the curve so rapidly is the entrepreneurial spirit that they have. You know, in, in you know, what's driving it in Japan and Korea are the big the big companies. I mean, 
you know, there's a few massive companies, whether it's LG and Samsung SDI and Panasonic in Japan and, you know, some of the others. But in China, I mean, if you think about it, China doesn't have a global brand of any kind. Now, BYD is starting to become a well-known name around the world, but, you know, there's not a, there's not a global consumer brand that's Chinese. There's, they've tended to in, right. import. So, I mean, I, I, the context I have is across the battery, China's, China's trying to do everything. I mean, they immediately, my biggest customer for lithium products used to be not for cathode, it was for electrolyte because they controlled the whole high-purity carbonate business that made LIPF6. That business is now... A Chinese business. I mean, yeah, there's still some activity in Japan and Korea, but the Chinese targeted it. They took the cost down, and they got stuff qualified. And they've done the same thing kind of across the board. And and just one other point on that, because this is not this is more we want to get Colleen's story, not mine. But um, if if you if you you take a step back, and it's like, where's the value? going to get added it's now the little guys like tanchi and gangfin are now big guys and they have capital well because they took and this is i think this is going to lead into one of the points that we discussed um yesterday colleen is that you know they took action and and i just got back or i i came to australia on the heels of a month-long trip in china and i met with a lot of the converters in sichuan province who are buying australian little rocks and turning them into chemicals. And a couple of things I think people get wrong there is that these companies are not cookie cutters of each other. There's some that you get like a very modern, very future thinking, you know, vibe off of. There's some that you're like, oh, what is going on here? I'm so confused. But all of them, whether they'll succeed or not, see as part of their five-year growth plan, because they'll, they'll think in five years comfortably, is that they want to start making lithium chemicals that are qualified to sell in Asia. They want to get into that tier one, you know, and they're willing to make investments and they're willing to do the the technical work required to do that. They're not sitting and, and sort of basking in cheap Chinese money. They're winning this business because it's a decision. Um, and I get asked sometimes, you know, I'm a, an American living in Argentina. I get asked why why I do business, you know, why some of my clients are Chinese. And it's the the, the answer is that they're out there and they're actually doing it. And sometimes, even though there's a massive language barrier, the Chinese clients are much clearer about what they want and where they want to go, and they know the industry and they've learned it. Whereas, you know, you'll get an American client who will come in and go out to a brine project and ask where the spodumene is, and you're like, what? what? I can't answer that question. It's And so what are your thoughts on, like, when, when we talk about being behind how how big of a role is that, and, and how much does that feed the kind of intensity with which you discuss the lithium valley? Um, I, I, I think um, we need to take a page out of China's book. Um, they, they are very proactive, um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the government had, had provided a number of subsidies uh, mm-hmm. to d- deliver on that innovation. And so, you know, there's a lot of small Chinese companies. I was recently at the Hanover Mesa, and, you know, there were huge representation of those companies in those spaces. So um, I, I think, um, you know, China's drive, uh, you know, to get into this space, and they've done it really, really well. And I think we need to 
follow in that same model in terms of um, looking at the subsidies, looking at, at ways that are going to encourage the investment, encourage the innovation. And I think we struggle a little bit with that. And I I know Europe is starting to look at it, and um, the U.S. is starting to look at it, and everybody's talking critical raw materials. Um, but I, I just don't think uh, Europe or the U.S. is moving quick enough in order to set the foundation that will allow the innovation and activity to move as quickly as it has in China. Yeah, I mean, there, I, I think that's right. I mean, I, I don't think, I don't think the U.S. has started to play catch up because I don't even think they know there's a game. No, and that uh, is well put. Thank you, Emily. As a sports uh, advocate myself, <laughs> I really feel that analogy speaks to me. But yeah, it's uh, there's a I think the thought, thought that the only reason China's doing this is they have access to some unlimited pool of cheap money, and I don't think that's it. No, I think they've they've um, invested wisely, and um, you know, in terms of their activity um, in Australia and Western Australia, you know, they're 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 playing the game. You know, they're out there. They're, um, you know, ensuring that they're securing uh, what they need to secure, you know, for their long-term future. And I think uh, both the U.S. and Europe are still just talking about it. And um, they're assuming that it's just going to happen um, in, in Europe and in, in the U.S. And uh, we had recently gone to the uh, EU Commission, had a conversation with them, and they have very lofty plans in terms of building gigawatt factories all over Europe um, to deliver on uh, battery cells. And they don't have the critical raw materials. And um, when speaking to the companies over there, they, um, they weren't interested in mining. They weren't interested um, in, in looking at offtake agreements or anything like that. They just assumed they would be able to go to market, get what they need, and, and, and have it delivered. But um, and this is where, uh, you know, China has done, you know, quite well. They've, you know, they've looked at, okay, well, we need to secure our critical raw materials. And they've gone to countries and they've um, provided the upfront investment into mines and into facilities um, that then would deliver um, back to them the, the product that they need. And I think um, both the U.S. and Europe really need to start playing in that space if they're going to deliver on their battery futures themselves. got the lithium value report written it di- initially it did its job got the conversation started but who's managing the brand of the lithium valley now i mean who how does that concept continue to benefit australia can you just touch well on that? It, it's been interesting because uh yeah people were a little taken back you know with um uh the lithium valley term and that term actually came from uh, professor peter newman um and um but uh, because the document had gotten out, and it, it, it's very catchy. And uh, now, uh, for instance, in the um, the little conference that was held um, yesterday, they were doing the Lithium Valley tour. And, you know, so it, it, people, it's just caught on, and it's, and, you know, it's happening. So, and a lot of people think that Lithium Valley is a place. It's not a place. It's a, a, a concept of um, uh, participating or Western Australia participating in this battery future. Um, so, you know, there's benefit for the whole state because the mines are going to be across the state. Uh, Western Australia is kind of like the periodic table um, of energy metals. Uh, it's uh, a continent that has remained undisturbed for 5 billion years. And so in that crust, you know, where these, these things exist, um, there's an abundance. And, um, 
you know, so it's, you know, the, the regions, the whole state um, can actually participate. Um, but when it comes to looking at further downstream processing and getting the chemistry right, um, there is only one place in Western Australia where that's going to happen, and that's at Quinana. Quinana is a, um, a world-class industrial estate. It's got um, chemical symbiosis, so one company um, that uses a set of chemicals uh, creates an, another set of chemicals as a byproduct that then are bought up by another, you know, by somebody else. So um, within that space, if we were to ever look at um, uh, electrochemical processing, it would have to happen at Quinana. So we have other names, though, that are that are mentioned by uh, some of the big players here. Uh, Albemarle comes to mind. Yes. And Albemarle has decided to locate where? Um, they've located in a place called um, Kimmerton, which is down south about three hours from um, uh, the Perth CBD. And uh, Kimmerton is a strategic industrial area that's been identified by the state and is promoted as a strategic industrial area. Um, unfortunately, um, it's not sterile. And so Albemarle um, went and purchased um, some land down there. But then they ran into a, a number of issues around um, environmental approvals, and and I think their their intent was to have their processing close to mine. So um, the Talison Mine, which they have a, a joint ownership in, which is uh, the Green Bushes Talison Green Bushes. That's correct. Yeah. So um, Albemarle's got forty nine percent. Tianchi's got fifty one percent of that mine. And you know you would think, okay, well we're close to mine. It's going to cut down on some costs in terms of shipping the product um, um, to the processing uh, facility. Um, but yeah, they're, 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 they, I know they've had uh, quite a number of issues, um, with getting that mine up and going. Um, uh, you know, so it's, uh, and I think, uh, with the decision by Tianchi and now SQM locating at Quinana, you know, they understand the importance of having that chemical symbiosis in order to, um, deliver a product. So to kind of just provide a little color, um, the, this, this sort of next step or one of the... The points that Joe has has made a lot uh, in the last couple of days here in Australia is that Australia currently um, only produces tiny rocks or spodumene concentrate, um, which is a, pr- a precursor to a lithium chemical like lithium carbonate or lithium hydroxide. And the first step to bringing additional value or essentially doing more of the steps uh, here in Australia is chemical conversion capacity, which is a, a process whereby the tiny rocks are, are roasted and treated with chemicals and they become either lithium carbonate or lithium hydroxide. And so the players that are currently in construction yes, are um, Albemarle at, at Kimmerton. Kimmerton, and then there's the SQM Kidman JV at Quinana. Quinana. And then the third one is Tianchi at Quinana. Tianchi at Quinana. And and so Albemarle's also invested in in Wojina. Yes. And as I understand it, the plan there is to to do it up north. Is is that correct? Uh, I I don't fully understand that that particular thing because that's been recently announced and yeah. I haven't really looked into it. So I'm not quite sure what the details are around it. Um, but in terms of that um, conversion, the the again, you're going to have to get um, the base products or the chemicals up to any 
any place to, in order to process it. So then, you know, that, that factors in cost. You well, know? And, and when we look at that, and Joe, maybe, maybe this goes into your area, a, a chemical conversion facility, what do you need besides tiny need, little lithium Well, you rocks? need the reagents, you need the labor force, you need, I mean, there's Electricity, a, lot, there's a water. lot of things. Yeah, I mean, it, you, it, think about any kind of chemical manufacturing, and there's a, there's a base load of a suite of things that you need. I mean, what I'm trying to like kind of tease out here is, is I understand what you're saying is that Queen Island was kind of like the obvious choice. It's yes. got everything you need. And so going somewhere else, you can do it, but then you're kind of, you know. You're having to bring everything yes. with you. And, you know, as uh, the cost structures around, uh, you know, batteries and the chemicals and everything and electrochemical processing for batteries, um, you know, as more and more people enter in, into the scene and play in, play in the market, cost is going to become one of those things, you know, that it's going to become very important. So, you know, if you're having to pay a whole lot more to ship product to your facility and then ship it back to um, a, a container port, because uh, lithium um, hydroxide, for instance, can only be shipped in a container. Uh, because of the you know the issues yeah. around it, so and there's only one um, container port in Western Australia, which is uh, currently the port at Fremantle. Now they they've got a, a process underway with Westport, um, with the state government, and looking at um, the potential of moving a container port to a different location. And Quinana is actually one of those locations that they're looking at. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of factors that um, that play into this. You know, you need to be near a port. You need to ha- be able to have access to containers. You need to be able to have access to the chemicals, you know, to, to create this. But then you have to look at, you know, well, what's the overall cost? And as uh, prices do come down globally in this space, are you really positioned out in the middle of nowhere producing, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the converter at, at a price that people are going to buy it? Well, that's the interesting part about this whole thing to me because we've had Ken Brinsden from Pilbara on the, the podcast twice and on the first the first time he talked to us talked about going down ultimately going downstream so that they could participate in the chemical side but their decision has been partnering with Posco and they're at, they're at that plant's actually being built in Korea which is near the market and when we talked to him about you know the challenges of trying to do something up around Port Headland it was the whole thing of Port Hedland, that area, the Pilbara is great for the raw material. For bulk. But the chemical side of it, I mean, there were just a lot of issues. And, and, and I understand uh, what Abelmar actually wants to do with their other, you know, they've got the, they've got two different tiers here because they've got their, their partnership with with Tianchi and Taliesin and then their wholly owned plant. And then they've got the, the partnership with Minres. And they're building, as I understand, the plan to build the hydroxide again out in kind of a remote area, which just, I don't get it. And I I guess you don't either. (laughs) I I, I don't get it either, you know, because uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, the people purchasing the product, you know, it's all going to be based on cost. And if it's, uh, and if you're producing a product in a remote area that, that, that you then have to ship. Um, to a port, you know, to then ship out. Yeah, I just, I'm, I'm just not quite seeing it. Um, but that doesn't stop, you know, the opportunity for the state, you know, to actually develop the mines and, and get things, you know, uh, crushed and, and, and do what uh, Western Australia does really well. 
But I really do think that um, in terms of the electrochemical processing and and the, the, the converters is that, that you need to be in areas where you're going to be able to access those uh, those inputs um, at a reasonable price in order to deliver a reasonably priced output. Going back to the, the original Lithium Valley idea and the, the, the way we, when we first looked at it, kind of parsed it was like some talking about it felt like, okay, we got to go from the soup to nuts. We're going to, we're going to make the rock and we're going to, we're going to ultimately make batteries and we're going to recycle them here. And in talking to you, I mean, you have much more nuanced ideas about mm. where the value is. So, you know, you want, you want to just kind of yep. go through those ideas? Um. A lot of people, when they talk about batteries, everybody's just talking EVs, you know, because we're going to have electric cars and everybody's going to be an EV gigawatt factory, you know, making these batteries for these cars. Um, And, yeah, you can think about it. um, But really, I think, you know, China is quite strong in that space. They're already producing electric cars um, and they're already, uh, you know, producing the batteries for the electric cars. And what's um, being seen, for instance, in uh, the EU with the, recent um, JV between um, Volkswagen and cattle um, is that Volkswagen's realizing that, you know, maybe they can't make the battery cell um, that goes into the batteries that's going to power their cars. Um, when we recently vid- visited um, Wolfsburg, um, it was mentioned that Volkswagen by 2025 want to have one quarter of their, their new fleet converted over to electric. It's a very interesting space. I don't think Western Australia should be interested um, at all, really, in uh, trying to compete in the EV market. Um, I think that that's pretty much covered. But what what you know has become clear is that batteries are going to power more than just cars. Um, you know, there I I've, I'm converting all of my uh, tools over to batteries. I've got a electric lawnmower. Uh, Dyson has recently announced that. Um, they're not going to make uh, uh, corded vacuums anymore. And you see more and more of this happening. When uh, over in Europe, I went into a still shop, um, you know, so pa- their power tools, all electric, no cords anywhere. So there's, um, there, you know, this new mobility and this new um, energy future, it, everything's going to be powered by batteries. So what that leads me to believe is that, um there are going to be some organizations that are re- going to require specialized batteries for their very particular, you know, systems. And I think that's probably a place where Western Australia can start to play is like uh, we do specialization really well. Um, you know, we've got um, a shipbuilding and sustainment um, industry and a number of the, the, the companies that work in that space are already doing specialization uh, for companies all over the world. So, and I think that's where Western Australia's strength is. So we can look at those um, niche market, specialized um, batteries, the solid state, the wearable batteries that are starting to come out. Um, and I think that's how we can build um, our industry. We're never going to be a volume industry here in Australia, but we can be a specialized battery manufacturing. So how do you see that playing out? What, what needs to happen okay. to execute? Um, well, first up, there needs to be a, a client that uh, that needs to needs a specialized battery. So we've been talking to a number of companies about that, um, and then we've also been talking to other um, companies that have um, IP, 
uh, in this space making, you know, pouch batteries and, and some of the sol- solid state. So, um, and then we've also been speaking to companies that um, manufacture the equipment that make batteries. So we've got the elements, you know, coming through. Um, I, I think, you know, we really need to start to focus, okay, well, if we can get the IP and we can get um, uh, the equipment that will um, assist with manufacturing of batteries and start small. You know, we don't need to be a massive gigawatt um, uh, facility. Start something small that can grow organically um, to move into that specialization. So, you know, uh, maybe one gigawatt, six gigawatts, you know, something small, and and then just refine um, the, the output um, for clients that are looking for that type of product. And, you know, and I'm talking about areas, um, for instance, such as defense, uh, you know, being able to produce um, batteries that might then feed into the defense industry. I find you in the morning After dreams of distant signs Pour yourself over me Switching gears just a little bit, um, one of the topics that we kind of, uh, or, or the way that you expressed why Australia wants to be in the battery uh, essentially the battery cell supply chain is that in the world, the world is going to be better served by more diversity. That's correct. And um, I think that, um, you know, with the the current state of play, um, you've got the countries that are producing the volumes. And, um, but with the product um, that will eventually be uh, made um, globally, I think there's we need to start to look at okay, well, who else can play in that space? And um, you know, so I think diversity of supply and diversity in the supply chain is going to be really, really important. And um, this, I think, comes down sometimes to some of the comments around the critical raw materials and and the uh, Republic of Congo and the cobalt issue and and you know, so I think it needs to be balanced out a little bit. And uh, currently, uh, um, a number of the uh, ba- uh, battery cells, you know, manufactured, you know, across Asia, why not also look at other um, countries that actually can move into that space and provide that diversity? Well, and even like just talking about the critical raw materials space, um, <clears throat> I have a, a sort of a, uh, I was hanging out here in Perth a couple of days ago with an uh, American miner who's also moved here to Perth, a libertarian gentleman. Um, and he shared a story that on a, on a plane, he sat next to a lady and, you know, she's like, what do you do? And he's like, I'm a miner. I'm in mining. And she's like, oh, data mining. And he's like, no, no, like mining of rocks. And her her response was, do we still do that? And I, and I think that when, when we talk about creating diversity in the supply chain, and by that we mean diversifying, um, more involvement from Europe and more involvement from the United States of America. Um, there's sort of this mindset that we just order that. And and I see a tremendous value that Australia can provide as a, as a mining leader to Europe and to the United States to understand that mining done properly isn't, you know, it's not a bunch of, you know, smog-covered children with pickaxes, which I think is the idea a lot of people have yeah. of mining. And, uh, you know, Australia is world-class in environmental management around mining. And this is becoming something that um, more and more people, more and more companies are, are concerned about. And so we can actually offer that with low sovereign risk um, and, and a great, great product. So, um, you know, I think Australia will probably always uh, be up there in terms of 
one of the best places to um, uh, mine resources. Um, but I think we also need um, diversity right across the whole supply chain um, so that uh, places like the U.S. and Europe can just order, you know, just... Yeah, if they want to, or they could build some mines. I mean... <laughs> Well, I think you'll I, slap I, me with a noodle and no. call me a poodle, but uh, <laughs> I talked. I talked danger. about that today in, in a panel I was on, and that you know I thought there there's a huge desire from the Defense Department of the U.S. to have you know secure supply and yeah. how that plays out. Probably some assets in the U.S., but having them with friendly nations and you know right now we don't need to go into who's not a friend but i think if you look at the president's twitter account um you, I really you probably don't, have a good he's idea on, he's on a mission <laughs> really don't. he's on a mission really don't don't yeah. want to have an aneurysm um no well then so then looking at you know the idea of how would you define success in the next 5 years to sort of have to feel like the U.S., Europe, and Australia were, to use your words, catching up. How far behind are we, and and what can we do in five years to catch up? Um, I think uh, both the U.S. and Europe are going to have to move rather quickly. I know uh, Europe is, what they've done is they've developed a whole bunch of policy around divestment out of fossil fuels. But now they're starting to look going, oh, if we're going to do that, we actually need to, you know, look at critical raw materials and secure that. Um, but what was really interesting, you know, the, the lack of uh, understanding about where these resources come from and that if you want to secure those resources, you actually have to invest up front. And you ha- actually have to look at, you know, as I said, those offtake agreements and investment in mines and, and, and the whole bit. So um, I think... Europe's going to have to change a little bit in terms of if they're going to secure their resource. They're going to have to change their policy around investment in mines. Um, and the U.S. is, you know, you know, I think uh, U.S. and Australia has had a really uh, fantastic relationship over the past few years. Australia's in a funny little place because of the growth um, of China and, you know, some of the things that are coming out of politics um, uh, with the U.S. Um, but I think, you know, collaboration and, and cooperation uh, is is probably going to be the best thing, you know, in the, in that space with both the U.S. and um, with Europe. And I know Australia, you know, is 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 you know they're coming of age in the space, and they're starting to tell the world, well, you know, come and talk to us. The a, a number of the European um, uh, companies that we spoke to felt didn't realize that um, they could go to other places like Australia and actually have these conversations. They thought because they wanted batteries and they wanted uh, to do battery cells in gigawatt factories um, that they had to go to China because China was naturally producing the resource themselves. And they actually were very surprised that China is actually working with other countries and bringing in the resources to China, making the product, and then sending it out. So uh, I think it's a very immature view um, from Europe and from the U.S. in terms of what the supply chain is. I don't think they get it. Well, that's, that's a great point because I think one of the, the narratives is, you know, lithium is not a rare earth, but a lot of people think it is. And, you know, a few years ago when, you know, China is fairly dominant in the rare earths. And so people just lump that in their mind and think, you know, because I get calls all the time and people are saying, you know, well, all those rare earths like lithium. And it's like, oh, actually, 
Lithium is not a rare earth. And in, in the case of lithium, China's very dependent on the outside. But they've been smart enough to make investments, whereas, you know, we've got the top guys at Volkswagen saying, well, we don't anticipate lithium being a problem because it never has been. Well, they can just go to China and buy it. Yeah, well, we'll see how that – I mean, that that's the problem with um, the – the rapid growth of high range vehicles, what they need, um, they aren't going to be able to necessarily get from. I mean, you know, you, you mentioned when you said cattle, that would be what we would we, we call on the podcast CATL, but either one works. Um, and you know, they're they're still not renowned for quality at the high end that's correct yeah so you've got you've got the germans making a bet possibly on the wrong horse and uh that needs to that needs to play out and too. and you know there's always also issues around um specifications and ip which are sometimes uncertain you know in in, in working with china um you know and and you know so they're you know this was the biggest surprise about europe is that they're they've got so many fairly lofty plans and in moving into the space, but they haven't, I don't think they really have thought things through in terms of that supply chain. Well, it's, it's almost a case of cognitive dissonance because um, it's like I, I sometimes in dealing with some of the lofty minded Europeans and Americans, rather than confronting a challenge head on, when something inconvenient with their worldview, like cobalt, um, appears, it's like they are like, well, let's leave that off and we'll just focus on the parts we like. And that's not how science works. You can't just do the parts you like. It's, you, have to, you have to acknowledge that to make a stable battery, you're going to need some cobalt. You have to acknowledge that a, a, a good proportion of that cobalt comes from a complicated part of the world. And sit down and discuss realistically how to handle that. Not just say, well, we're going to innovate away from it. And so I'm just going to find someone to put a stamp on my iPhone that says this was responsibly sourced. So I feel better about myself. And, and you know, all, all these, um, all this need for these resources put big, huge holes in the ground. You know, there, there's a lot of things to consider. I completely agree with you that, um, you, you know, it's just kind of brushed off to the side. Right? And not really, cons- you know, uh, considered. There's actually, yeah, uh, one of our friends at Nano One has a very uh, poignant uh, hamital, a way of discussing that um, natural resources, natural resource extraction businesses, they leave a permanent mark on the earth. And in in making the decision to do that, we as a society have to do it responsibly, and we have to decide that we're going to pay a couple hundred dollars more for our goods and services to not, you know, to pay for, uh, you know, appropriate measures that, you know, the the mining disaster in, in Brazil is a perfect example. You know, do you want mining companies to, you know, um, responsibly close mines and not leave potentially hazardous problems? If yes, then you need to pay more for your computer, for your table, for your, you know, if you if we bear bar you know bottom of the of the cost everything in the world you you your economic or your environmental consequences will be higher yeah and i think china is facing this right now 
they're, you know, I think, um, you know, because they've been so gung ho in, in, you know, moving in across this manufacturing spectrum, you know, area, um, that they're just now realizing the environmental consequences within their own country. And, you know, I've heard um, things, you know, that water sh- shortages and, you know, having de- degradation of land and a, a whole range of things. And I think they're starting to address it. You know, they, they, so want, they want to fix it. They don't they don't want to be seen um, as a country that that just degrades its environment. And so, you know, they're they're moving rather quickly and putting policy in place that addresses this particular issue. Um, you know, so it, it is something that we all have to be aware of. Uh, and and you know be considerate of in terms of the impact of our consumerism and our needs is having on communities and and places across the world. So before we go to rapid fire, let's kind of bring it full circle. So how how do you what do you see your role? How, what are you going to be doing the next three to five years in this area? And so how does how does this play out for you? Um, I see uh, in my role with uh, RDA Perth is uh, continuing the facilitation to try and get that um, uh, lengthening of the downstream processing happening here in Western Australia, uh, trying to find uh, where those gaps are, trying to get the conversations happening, trying to get the people to talk together, um, and, and you know basically uh, encouraging that, yes, you know we can do this, but we've got to do it smartly. We just can't... Um, you know, become, you know, for instance, an EV manufacturer. Uh, you know, we've got to figure out where is our niche in this particular space. You know the way it twists and turns, changing colors, spinning yarns. You Hello, Colleen. You have been an absolutely lovely guest on the Global Lithium Podcast. Thank you. You're also going to make a lot of people's dreams come through who have asked us to go Howard Stern and record the podcast. And we have in the past said no, but Colleen came in here. She brought her, her camera. The wonderful people at Lush Media here in Perth set up some really bright lights. And so it's, you know, a lot of people are going to be really happy to get to see Joe Lowry in action. So Fantastic. Hey, I, I'm feeling very Joe Rogan-ish Joe, here with the camera. Well, on. Joe Lowry, since we do have a camera, I think we've got a gift for our guest. If we... The gift has been given. Oh, let's pretend she hadn't. Can you have your oh. gift around? Oh, thank you. Here, we've got oh, a <laughs> hat. Anyway. No, we gave her a hat. All right, well. They had on the way in. Normally, I, I hold it till the end, but I've forgotten it many times, and I don't get to Perth that often, so I I, I right. led with it today. And it's my favorite color, black. Well, Colleen, Colleen's going to be leaving with a, a very fashionable global lithium hat that will, uh, I guess, inspire jealousy probably amongst many peers. Um, and Colleen, what we do at the end of this podcast is we like to ask our guests a couple of kind of rapid-fire quick questions. Okay. Do you want to lead off? Joe? Okay. First one is an easy one. If you could, oh, no. if you could have dinner with anyone, if any historical figure, dead or alive, we'll bring them back to life for you to have dinner. Who is it? What do you have? Um, I think uh, Einstein. I'd love to. Meet Good Einstein. answer. Uh, and uh, over. Oh uh, gosh, I don't know. Um, my favorite meal these days is sauerkraut and yogurt. So, 
I think well, Albert he, would. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Albert, Albert was from no. that part of the world. He, he's probably yeah. Gonna... I'm, I'm, I having gone to Europe and eat, eaten a lot of sauerkraut and pretzels. I'm just really loving the sauerkraut right now. Okay, so next question: You can have a billboard that everybody on Earth can see in their language. What do you want to communicate on your billboard? I'll go with the Miss Universe answer and say world peace. It is impossible to achieve peace as long as every single action is taken with a possible future conflict in view. This is the formula which summarized Einstein's theory of relativity, a theory Good which... Answer. Okay, a little surprised you went with the easy out on the world peace, but that's okay because we the don't... world ju- peace? Yeah, we, we don't uh, judge here. Like the world peace? Another classic is if you could call your 20-year-old self, knowing what you know today, what advice would you give the 20-year-old Colleen Yates? Finish university. Good answer and quick, too. All right. I've got a good one, actually. It's going to combine two of our favorite ones. So, Colleen, Joe and I, uh, on our first trip to Australia last year, we, we learned an Aussieism of chalk and cheese when we were in a meeting and uh, with Primero, actually, and they kept saying chalk and cheese, chalk and cheese. And after about an hour, I was like, guys, what does that, what does that mean? Because I can't just pretend to understand. Um, and then Ken Bridsden taught us the word praying. Yes. Teach us an Aussie slang that we don't know. Knickers in a twist. No, I know knickers in a twist. I want yeah. like, yeah, get, don't get your knickers in a twist, right? Panties in a bunch. What's a, what's like one of those words that you're like, like a praying that we wouldn't know. I mean, if you have... take your typical American over here that he's just going to say what? Uh, oh gosh. Uh, uh, doing the bizzo. Don't know that one. Doing the bizzo. Yeah, I would say like taking a dump or I mean, what no, we... <laughs> no. Doing the bizzo is a reference to having sex. Oh, oh okay. The bizzo. Well. You wouldn't want to do those two things at the same time. That's for sure. And you wouldn't want your knickers in a twist, or uh, you wouldn't want to be doing the bizzo while driving. I mean, no. That could lead to a prank. That's correct. Well, unless, yes. unless autonomous driving was uh, fully fully developed. <laughs> All right, Very so... Well so, Joe, if people want more Joe Lowry, where at, can they go on the internet? At Global Lithium on Twitter. You can find me on LinkedIn, and of course you can find me in the new or the archived versions of the Global Lithium Podcast. So if you want more of the Global Lithium Podcast, we're at www.lithiumpodcast.com or you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Stitcher, you can find us on most podcast apps and we're working on Spotify. Yes. If people want more Colleen Yates, where do they go? Uh, they can visit the Regional Development Australia Perth website or go to our um, RDA Perth YouTube. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on LinkedIn. So we're right across a number of um, uh, social media platforms. So, yeah, or uh, just pick up the phone and, and give a call. When you put this podcast up on YouTube, where where do they need to go? At RDA Perth. At RDA Perth, sports fans, the first video version of the Global Lithium Podcast. Guys, let's get a three-way high five. Okay. (laughs) 
And I've got to say, it has been absolutely fabulous meeting you guys. Um, it, it, you know, just the conversation with people who are so knowledgeable about the industry is really, really nice. Well, I, I, I have to compliment you because you rarely meet somebody who came out of left field into this and then has made such an impact. So, I mean, I really, we sincerely compliment you on what you're, you've done and what you're doing and the contribution you've made to WA's long-term development in both lithium and the whole green energy space. Fantastic. Thank you so much. No, thank you, Colleen. And Joe, we gotta we got to catch a flight. We do have to catch a flight. So let's say really quickly, good night, night and, and good, good luck. luck. This has been the Global Lithium Podcast with co-hosts Joe Lowry and Emily Hirsch. The podcast is edited by Elena Peach and produced by Joe, Emily, and Elena. You can find more episodes of the podcast at lithiumpodcast.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for Joe or Emily or a suggestion for a future episode topic, please send an email to globallithiumpodcast at gmail.com.